Join Eurex and DeribSource for a webinar June 20th on the rise of total return futures, what you need to know, where industry participants explore the emergence of the total return future and how both buy and sell side market participants can use this newly designed futurized swap as part of a wider trading strategies and to achieve greater margin efficiency. Register via the webinars tab on derivsource.com. Hello and welcome to a DerivSource podcast. I'm Julia Schieffer, the founder and editor of DerivSource.com. Blockchain remains one of the top trends in 2017, but how does this technology fit into the post-trade space? In a recent report entitled, Is Blockchain a Good Fit? A Disciplined Approach in Post-Trade, ITA Group's senior analyst, Javier Paz, explores the insight and information that financial institutions require to best evaluate the opportunities in blockchain technology or chain tech, which can deliver the increase in automation and reduced operational base that this technology promises. Welcome to the podcast, Javier. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. So we have covered blockchain or distributed ledger as a concept in the past on DerivSource. But Javier, can you give us a little bit of a quick refresher into the definitions of blockchain and what you call chain tech? Chain tech is the more expansive term, and, and it is one that we use to indicate that the notion of blockchain is transforming, moving beyond what it was explained to us in early 2016 or before. Uh, what we knew then were the network nodes from public chains like Bitcoin or Ethereum, where all nodes communicate with each other and synchronize to each other. And chain tech allows us to accommodate for other types of distributed networks being part of the mix. Thank you, Javier, for that clarification. So as you pointed out in your research paper, many of the larger sized financial institutions are investing heavily in chain tech proof of concepts or select vendors in the space, while the smaller firms, such as a mid-tier bank or broker, for instance, are not investing as heavily. Why the difference in interest levels, and do you see the larger banks seeing more potential in this area compared to smaller firms? The difference is in the economies of scale for each types of firms. So transacting a few thousand trades uh, a year or a few million trades a year determines the value of blockchain-led efficiencies in the post-trade um, space. So it, it makes little sense for smaller financial institutions to lead the charge in this transformation if the current system is good enough for them to settle the amount of trading that they do. It is incumbent upon the larger firms providing the brokers or smaller buy-side firms some kind of servers or ancillary work to be the first adopters of blockchain technology simply because they have much more to gain from it. The larger firms are definitely busy doing something with blockchain in the settlement space. But what is less clear is whether they are close to common standards or common chain tech protocols. The R3 consortium under, has under its banner the largest number of banks, something like 80 plus members of which 65 or more are banks. But there are other chain tech platforms that banks are seriously evaluating 
such as Hyperledger Fabric, Digital Asset Platform, Axonis Axcore, and more recently, and gaining quite a bit of momentum, is also JP Morgan's Quorum, which is an Ethereum-inspired open-source code. Your paper focuses on the post-trade space, so let's look at this in a post-trade lens. How do you see blockchain or chain tech impacting the post-trade space? Certainly. One of the hardest areas right now seems to be e-proxy voting, with several hats on this distributed ring. NASDAQ was the first to the line with a project they launched in Estonia late last year. This was followed by Broadridge and DMX Group this year, also coming forth with their own advanced version and plans of providing this service on using blockchain technology. Blockchain seems to be causing greater initial impact on securities that are not traded very frequently. And this is evidenced by DTCC's plans to roll out the technology in credit derivatives and in the repo market. A big test of the technology in a major scale is coming, coming up in Australia later this year as the ASX group, which is in the process of using the technology to replace its clearing and settlement system for all cash equity trades, will decide whether this platform they've been working on for two years alongside with digital asset will effectively replace what they have during 2018. So this big test will usher either more credibility in the technology as being used in outside of the United States, which is, as we all know, the biggest market in cash equities. But it will certainly, a lot is riding there, and we should know how that is proceeding later this year. One thing to consider, though, is that Australia's daily volume of stocks is much different than that of the U.S., so there's questions whether chain tech throughput is ready for prime time in the U.S. I think this, that's a very valid question. So I think all of these events going on in the U.S. happening outside of cash equities and outside of the U.S. in cash equities are very exciting and important to watch. And it gives time for the technology to grow into what everybody hopes that it will be, giving them more throughput and flexibility to meet the demands of real high-volume securities trading. You mentioned some of the benefits, but are there operational benefits that blockchain or chain tech can potentially deliver to financial institutions that is really driving the interest behind investment in this technology? Well, the main benefit, there are some $2 billion billion or more in inefficient middle and back office operations across the cash equities industry, according to Goldman Sachs, that blockchain could help eliminate. And that's serious money, supporting operational redundancy and manual reconciliation in some 10% of all trades. So something like 800 million trades in 2015 that had to go through manual reconciliation. That's a lot of inefficiency right there. So the price tag for this inefficiencies impacts all firms on the sell side, on the buy side, and those providing services in between. Focusing on the C-level executives, what are the main questions they should be asking themselves when evaluating the applicability and the value of blockchain to post-trade space? What kind of information or data do they require to make decisions? The C-suite should mine blockchain impact 
from a defense and offense perspective. From a defensive perspective, they should ask themselves, what are manual heavy and error-prone parts of their businesses that could become obsolete through blockchain? What are duplicative processes within the firm or across the supply chain in which they operate? From an offensive perspective, they should try to quantify these inefficiencies and see if the potential blockchain use could give them, as a potential pioneer in its application, a competitive edge. And those are some of the considerations they need to put themselves through some education where they are able to assess this highly technical information. And I believe in that regard, blockchain is different than, say, big data or moving operations to the cloud, where it is required for your management to understand key concepts of blockchain architecture, and that will allow them to better seize opportunities and deal with extensibility issues, which means being able to let blockchain adoption grow with them into the future and open up new opportunities to interact with their clients and with partners, rather than just have it built to specifications based on today's needs. And finally, looking ahead, Javier, how do you see the investment in blockchain for post-trade developing in 2017 and beyond? Investing in blockchain platforms is becoming larger and more selective, going to firms that are generating serious traction from large corporate end users in the post-trade space. So there is a bit of uncertainty today uh, in terms of who will prevail. There's multiple firms that have a credible background and attractive technology or features that are attractive, such as speed of processing and know-how in terms of the post-trade space, or they have the right membership in terms of um, that could make a new protocol, a new technology become the norm because of who backs the technology. However, the um, the final decision, the final word, the success uh, achieving scale will has yet to be determined. We just need to wait patiently wait for those winners to to emerge and see how the adoption dynamics favor one side or the other. And much like the DCIP model came to be um, through consensus and a certain tipping point in terms of scale, we expect the same kind of dynamics for blockchain. And um, if you are an entrepreneur uh, or you are an investor, there's still plenty of opportunities to take advantage of this wave of interest in blockchain technology in the settlement space. One has to be patient and continue to watch closely which of the, 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 of the 10 or so platforms who are the, likely to be the, the top two or three, and at that point, provide a service that is more utility-like, that helps interoperability between the, um, the, the, the various prevailing networks or in some way augments the, um, the power or the, um, the capabilities of the various networks to achieve um, more services for in, in, within the post-trade space.